0: Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. I really have an interest in old people. I have an interest in their stories, in their wisdom, in the way they have overcome things. I love that look in their eye when you ask them, about something they've done or their youth, and they are relieved that someone has shown interest in their story. I'm also super fascinated in those individuals, those people who can live so darn long. What is their secret? What do they have in common? I'm fascinated with this question. Every time the mayor of Mississauga, and I know many of you are not from the, the GTA, this woman named Hazel McKellen, she was like mayor of the city well into her 80s. I'm fascinated with the way the queen can just get up and keep going. I'm so interested in the lives of people who've lived a long time and the secret to that longevity and most importantly, that health span. And my grandmother was one of those women. She passed away in her 99th year. And I remember one day I sat down with her and I said, Grandma, I'm really interested in understanding what you attribute your longevity to. Why do you think you've looked so long? And she lived so long. And she looked at me and she said, Megan, it's oatmeal. And we held space for that for a second. And I was trying not to display the disappointment on my face. She'd normally been able to produce these like deep responses in the past, but not this time. She was attributing her entire longevity do her love and discipline around at Daily Oatmeal. And then she looked at me and she said, oh, and you know, I really love people. I really love helping people. That's what I've always done. And right in that moment, I was like, that's it. That is the common denominator. I see it with my patients. I see it with these leaders. I see it in individuals who have had this capacity to not just live a long time, but have had health span and a capacity for contribution for a long time. And they have had a sense of purpose. Now, purpose is something I've spoken about before. And anyone who ever saw me in clinic knew that I had a disproportionate obsession with this idea of purpose. And that was because I became fascinated with trying to understand why some people would come into my office and they would have the same diagnosis as somebody else, and yet they would flourish. Everyone was compliant, and yet they somehow were able to get back onto their feet so much faster than somebody else. It wasn't their environment, it wasn't a socioeconomic situation. Maybe in part it was mindset, but mindset alone wasn't explaining this interest in this phenomena that I was starting to see. And then I realized the common denominator amongst these people, these people who seemed to be able to exist with less anxiety. They were in my office less frequently because of illness. They had this resilience physiologically and mentally. And what I started to realize is that the common denominator for so many of them is they identified as having a very strong sense of purpose in their life. And I started to ask the question. I started to ask the question of individuals coming into my practice. They would, you know I've got eczema, I've got Crohn's, I've got colitis, I've got my thing. And I'd say, tell me about your purpose. And they'd look at me like I had, wasn't listening, like I hadn't heard them tell me what their problem was. And they realized that, no, I was i was on a totally different plane. I wanted to understand how they identified and what they understood their purpose in life to be about. And so as a clinician, as I had the opportunity to start to hear these stories, I started to realize that those people who identified as having a sense of purpose in their life, they truly had less anxiety. They had less metabolic issues. They had an expediency to their recovery that had to be statistically significant. And so I went and started to look at the literature. I was like, there's just no way I'm the only person who has observed this clinically. And sure enough, I was not. There's in fact, a body of research that looks at this notion of purpose, people identifying as having a sense of purpose in their life. And those individuals who have identified as having a sense of purpose, well, they scatter the medical literature. This is no longer this fanciful idea that, you know, is embodied in a quote on the front of a journal in your favorite bookstore. This notion of purpose is actually well-documented in medical literature. And what the medical literature shows is exactly what I was observing in practice. Those people who identified as having a sense of purpose experience less anxiety. They experience less depression. For individuals who had previously experienced a cardiovascular event, heart attack, we saw a 72% reduction in recurrent risk, meaning their chances of having another significant event were reduced by huge margin simply because people identified as having a sense of purpose. We're all over here in like the medical grandstands talking about, you need to exercise, you need to do these dramatic things. What do you need to do? You need to take that moment in that post-heart attack window and you really need to figure out what's important to you. It doesn't mean those other things aren't important to your health. It doesn't mean that eating well and taking your strategic supplements and exercising and meditating and all those things don't have an influence on their health. But this seemed to be the missing key for individuals with neurological injuries, those who identified as having a sense of purpose recovered faster. In the blue zones around the world where we saw this prevalence of individuals reaching their 100th birthday or being late into their 90s, purpose was one of the mindset elements and lifestyle elements that was a common denominator amongst all of these zones. We see less incidence of cancer. We see people living longer and longer health spans when they have a sense of purpose. It was a fascinating discovery. And so I'm welcoming all of you to episode 259 of the Anthropology Podcast, where we, in 25 minutes or less, bring you to a place where you can start to move into identifying purpose. Now, why do I care about this so much? Well, I set the stage for why I care about this in a clinical context. But here's the thing I want you to know before we even go any further. The literature also shows that people don't necessarily have to have, quote unquote, discovered their purpose to benefit from the physiological attributes, they simply need to make the commitment to finding it. That means that the journey to the discovery of purpose, the unlocking of purpose is actually just as profoundly impactful as finding the purpose itself. So stay tuned. Because starting this second with the decision to continue to hang out, to explore this idea, we're automatically and intrinsically starting to trigger those genes, that neurochemistry that will have that protective effect. Now, I talk a lot about purpose. I'm particularly passionate about this piece because I do believe it's actually accessible to everyone. One of the things that we make a huge mistake and a series of excuses around is that because I am in an era of my life that is littered densely with responsibility, I cannot possibly be engaged in finding my purpose. That purpose is something that we do when we have the luxury of time. Purpose is something for somebody else. And so I want to talk about some of the prerequisites that need to be in place in order for you to embark on this journey. And I've been working with patients and with clients and with people long enough around this journey of purpose to start to see these patterns. And so This symptomatic conversation of, oh, I'm in an era of responsibility. This will not be for me. We need to start to look at some of the prerequisites to move into this phase. The first one being you must believe and honor that you are worthy of living in a state of purpose. And for many of us, we can realign our energies to a state of busyness to avoid this sense of feeling like we are not. I spoke to this group of women once, I think I've shared this before, 200 women in a room and I was talking about this notion of purpose and I could see this like, yeah, but look on their faces, not all of them. I stopped my talk and I walked to the front of the stage and I looked at all of them and I said, I just want you to know you have permission to pursue your purpose. And as I said that there was a cohort of the room who just tears started to stream down their face And one woman spoke up in this room of like 200 people just suddenly turned into a discussion more than anything else. And she said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying that. She said, I was always, I was always told the message in my household was, you know, enjoy your youth because when you have a family, you, you must sacrifice everything for them. And other women echoed the stories that they had heard when they were kids about, you know, when you're an adult, this is what it's going to mean. You have Responsibility, you have to do things. You you don't get to engage in the frivolity of purpose. That's for somebody else. That's for those types of people. And I want you to know it's available to everyone, but it starts by acknowledging that sense of worth, that you are worth living in a state of purpose to start with. And if you don't have that, if you don't give yourself that permission, because I can't give it to you, if you don't give yourself that permission to start to pursue that place of purpose in your life, then that's where your work gets to start. So you need to have that state of worthiness. And when we have that state of worthiness, it almost enables the next step. But the next step is that you actually have to make time to commit to the journey. So you can't sit and finish this podcast and say, you know what, Megan said, I need to pursue my purpose. I'm making the decision to pursue purpose. I'm now in a purpose driven state. I just don't have time to look at it today. And then you don't circle back. So while it does start with a decision, the decision that, yes, I'm worthy, and yes, I'm interested in exploring this topic, you also have to create space for that. And to create space for that to happen, often that means you have to have conversations with the people around you about this commitment that you are making to yourself, to start to understand yourself better, to start to dissect the activities that you are taking in your life. It's the second hardest part in this journey. The first is acknowledging that you are worth it. And the second are the difficult conversations for you to reclaim some of your time. And I want to call these things out early on because they become the elephant in the room as we get deeper into the work. And by deeper into the work, I mean over the next 10 minutes, because I promise you that we would start to align this in 25 minutes or less. When I start to explore purpose, when I first started to explore purpose, it was in the context of working with patients who were in my office. And I was trying to understand the key To unlocking their ability to start to heal or to start to heal faster, or in some cases, try to understand the thing that was impeding their ability to heal. Those patients were often entrepreneurs. And as I emerged from clinical practice, what started to shift is I started to work with practitioners who were interested in developing their entrepreneurial skills. And so part of the model of purpose that I've developed is looking at the intersection of those two pieces. How are we starting to leverage it in a bigger way? What I would ultimately love for everyone to know and be able to see and feel is that their purpose actually has the capacity to manifest itself in the work that you do in your life, in your life's work. Can you imagine the ultimate privilege of getting up every day and feeling like the work that you do that you get compensated for is actually in alignment with your unique state of purpose? So to do that, let's start to unpack what this looks like. And if you've got a piece of paper. If you are driving, do not grab the piece of paper. But if you've got a piece of paper, I want you to grab it. And we're going to draw four circles and they're going to overlap like a Venn diagram. So we've got one circle at the top and then we've got one circle in the east and we've got one circle in the south and we've got one circle in the west. And in the middle, the intersection of those four circles, that is purpose. Now in that first circle at the top, I want you to just write things I'm good at. I just drop my pen. I call these impact powers. Things you're really good at. Now, if you look at this and you go, oh, I don't have anything, you're going to go back to the worthiness piece. You're going to work with your therapist. You're going to work with your practitioner, your medical team, like whoever you want to work with, your partners, your girlfriends. You got to get into that state of worthiness. I want you to write down everything you're good at. Now, things that you're good at are genuinely things that energize you, and they can be anything. They can be folding fitted sheets. I'm actually quite good at that. They can be public speaking. It can be that you have a, an uncanny sense of empathy and emotional intelligence. It might be that you can organize people like nobody's business, that you are inherently inspiring, that you are an incredible cook, that you are a tremendous leader. You get where I'm going here. It doesn't have to be big. It can be anything. And I want you to list it out. If you're having trouble with this, I want you to ask the people that you know and trust around you. I want you to ask them to acknowledge the things that you are good at. I want you to have a robust list. That second circle, that second circle to the right. Those are the things that you love to do. I want you to take the list of stuff that you are good at. And I want you to circle those elements that you love engaging in. Those feelings. There's certain things that you can do that just give you a high. I'm like that with public speaking. Other people would sooner die. Public speaking is one of the things I'm good at and I love to do. So I'm going to carry that forward into that second circle. What attributes are aligned with things that you love to do? What attributes at the top that you're so good at? How do they manifest in your life? And where they manifest in your life? Do you love that thing? The only thing I want to have in that second category are things that you love. I speak a lot in this component and journey of, of finding purpose about Andre Agassi, who was this amazing tennis player. And he shared in his autobiography that he did not like tennis. Many might have said, you know, his purpose in life is to be this great tennis player, to be this great athlete. He would argue, certainly not in that capacity. See, purpose has got to be something that lights you up. It's not responsibility. It's not hard work. What makes you good at your job might be elements of your purpose. But part of this is shedding the components that we don't like and leaning into the components that we do. A lot of people will say, at this phase of my life, my kids are my purpose. And I would make a slight refinement on that idea. I would say your kids are an opportunity for your purpose to shine. They're one of the verticals in which it can manifest. But your kids aren't your purpose in and of themselves. In fact, I would argue it's a tremendous amount of pressure to place on your children to make them your life's purpose. But your purpose can shine through them. Just as you can have an evolution in your career where your purpose is always able to shine. Athletes who reach an elite level, it's well documented in the medical literature that they experience heightened degrees and states of depression uh, after that stage of their career has lessened. And certainly you don't get the same dopamine highs and, and all of the different attentions and accolades. I believe part of it is, is they are so focused on the goal and the outcome of winning as opposed to how that journey as an athlete is an opportunity for their purpose to shine, that they have a really hard time seeing how there's a transferability of skills. There's a transferability of self into that next phase and evolution of life. And that's really what we're talking about. Your purpose will evolve over the course of your life as you gain new experience and you have new opportunities for it to manifest. But the core attributes that enable this to be your purpose those are going to move with you as you move forward. So at the top, we've got what you're good at. At the next section, we have what you love. We've dropped the things that you don't love. You don't love folding those fitted sheets. that do not have to serve your life's purpose. Once we get down into that third piece, this is where we start to turn outside ourselves. Of the things that you are good at, of the things that you are love, what skills can be leveraged for greater contribution in your kids, in your entrepreneurial endeavors, On the parent council in your children's school. This is where those inherent skills get to turn around and enable you to engage in contribution. Contribution is a huge component of this notion of purpose because it is bigger than yourself. Have you ever done that where you like you just conjured up this courage to take action on behalf of someone else? You were able to speak up on behalf of someone else. I just all the time for my kids where I'm like, oh, I would not have done that for myself. Look what I just did for my kids, right? When we start to look at this next section of this journey of purpose. Now what we're looking at is how we can leverage what we love and what we're good at for a capacity for contribution. And all of this really requires us to have this lens of how do I have my cake and eat it too, which is like just an inherent core belief in how I live my life and how I work with people. What has to be true in your life for you to have your cake and eat it too? And while you might not always be able To identify that in this moment, sometimes the cake you need it to is further down the road. The last component of this notion of finding our purpose, and you can stop at three if you want to. I mentioned that I work with entrepreneurs, and what I'm deeply fascinated in is those people who were able to look at that sense of purpose and those sense of skills and now say, not only how do I contribute with these, but how do I contribute with these at scale? How do I get paid for putting and deploying these skills into action? And that's the fourth phase. It's the fourth phase of the anthropology model of purpose is how now do I monetize on this unique set of skills and this unique opportunity? It's that fourth phase of purpose. How can I take that model of contribution or that tremendous capacity to organize that, that I, I put into play at the parent-teacher committee and now leverage that with real clients? That, to me, for those who are interested in that state of complete self-authorization, is the ultimate destination on the journey. And, you know, I opened this, I was sharing about my grandmother. And my grandmother, when I asked her about her purpose, she said, Megan, I love to bring people together. It's why I had a, a travel agency. I'd bring couples together, but I'd bring women together in particular. And we'd put them on buses and we'd go on bus trips. And it was an opportunity to share an adventure. It was an opportunity For women to sit together and just share what was going on in their lives, not in a context of gossip, not over alcohol, not over cigarettes, but in a really growth promoting experience. And she said, I lived for that, but it took me a long time to get there. And it took her a long time to get there, just as the journey as as, as important as the destination. When she was first married before she had kids in the 1940s, she wanted some element of financial autonomy. And while my grandfather was many things, supportive of female entrepreneurs in the 1940s was not one of them. And she went to him and she said, I would like, they lived in a small town. She said, I'd like to open a laundromat. I think there's an opportunity. And he feeling entirely unthreatened by the idea that his wife was going to own a laundromat said, that is no problem. And I looked at her and I said, why a laundromat? Like, are you just some incredibly insightful entrepreneur? And she said to me, she said, Megan, I wanted a cash-based business a cash-based business where he would never be bothered to want to count how many quarters I had. My mom would tell me these stories about, you know, right up until the 1980s, my mom would still uncover these buckets in their garage at their home that were full of quarters. She created this financial independence for herself that she turned around and invested into her travel agency where she could bring people together. It took her a period of time to get there. She had to raise her kids. She had to get them off to school, but all the while carried on with her little laundromat where she was amassing her small fortune to move closer to her ultimate state of purpose. It always manifested through in a variety of opportunities, but she ultimately was given the chance to live out her vision of how she wanted her purpose to contribute to her life and to her community. It was an amazing story. Now, is it why she lived to 99, we will never really know. But as I used to say with my patients, believe that there are hedge your bets protocols, things that we put in place in our life because we have nothing to lose. And in my estimation, pursuing one's purpose, creating space to acknowledge your unique gifts and your unique capacity for contribution, while no one is going to lose doing that. I would love to hear from all of you. I'd love to hear how how you feel purpose is manifesting in your life. We're going to carry on the conversation in two places. If you're prone and and engaged on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Megan Walker. We're going to be running a poll on purpose today. And if you want to hang out with like-minded individuals, people who are looking at pursuing purpose and impact on a daily basis, you can find us in the Anthropology Collective on Facebook. Until next week. I am Megan Walker, and I am wishing you an impactful week ahead. Take care, everybody.